Hi, this is uh, Paul Nguyen, and I'm uh, a guy from a neighborhood called Jane and Finch in Toronto, Canada. And my claim to fame is creating a website called janefinch.com. Welcome to The Vietnamese. I'm your host, Kenneth Nguyen. Being part of a culture of nearly 100 million Vietnamese people in the world today comes with a lot of pain, proud history, and privilege. Join me as I highlight and explore the Vietnamese experience from all over the world. What does it mean to be <laughs> Vietnamese to you? What does it mean to be Viet? Well, Vietnamese, you know, kind of growing up in a multicultural neighborhood in Toronto, uh, you're growing up with kids that are, you know, different backgrounds, different colors. It's something that we don't really think about, I don't think, uh, because it's not like it's focused on. So it's like, I'm the same as you, especially when you're in a neighborhood like Jane and Finch, where people are kind of like up and coming, or it's like a, you know, like a struggling neighborhood. So people kind of focus on, oh, you know, we're kind of like in an uh, impoverished area and there's lack of opportunities. So people, that's kind of like first and on the forefront of your mind, not the skin color. But then when you grow older, you do get conscious of it. And then people start uh, recognizing it and calling out, especially in Canada, diversity is really celebrated. So, uh, you know, uh, even though I was born in Canada, so technically like I am a Canadian, but I like to identify myself as a Vietnamese dash Canadian, hyphenated Canadian, because uh my Vietnamese roots, I feel are fairly strong. Uh, I was lucky to have my parents. They uh, sent me to Vietnamese school so I can read and write a little bit and uh, meet other uh, Viet kids and kind of like understand the culture on a deeper level and not just like eating Viet food and speaking the language, but it goes beyond that. You know, knowing where you come from, why, where did our parents come from and what was their journey and how did they arrive to Canada? So that's really important. How did they come to Canada? So my parents are known as boat people. Uh, they're part of the uh, Vietnamese refugees who uh, left Vietnam after the fall of Saigon uh, when we had the, you know, the communist takeover. So they're among the wave of boat people. I think they left in around 78, 79. And uh, from what I understand, it's like 2 million people left. Uh, not everybody made it because, uh, you know, on the sea, it's very dangerous. And they end up in an island called uh, Palau Bidong, Bidong Island. And they were there for a while until the Canadian government sponsored uh, them to Canada. And then they arrived in Toronto, I think in the winter of 79. So uh, once they got here, my dad and mom, they had like slippers. <laughs> they could see a snow on the ground, like, what's this, right? So, uh, but the, the, the Canadian people were very welcoming. They accepted a whole bunch of Vietnamese refugees. We, we owe them a whole lot. And they were just very kind, you know, giving you shelter, uh, uh, food, clothing, and training, and to, to have people to be able to be welcome to Canada and to adapt to a new life and a new home. And uh, I think Vietnamese Canadians are a very strong part of the Canadian identity. You know, um, Canadians are just famous, and especially here in the U.S., for being really friendly. <laughs> Where does that come from? Uh, yeah, that's, that's the reputation. I think maybe from my perspective as a Canadian and, and looking at my American counterparts i think the americans are maybe a little bit more direct let's just say <laughs> i'm pretty sure uh, the population wise uh, people have the same feelings and thoughts you know there's good and bad sure. but maybe americans are more vocal because they're all about uh, freedom freedom of speech even though canadians are like that but we're a little bit more reserved with i think our sense uh, sensibilities and sentiments yeah well i bring up that question because when i heard of your story and jane and finch the the neighborhood i was like what how could you nice com canadians have a neighborhood like what we would consider as the hood in the u.s right and i'm i was like intrigued i was like really Can canada has neighborhoods that are you know of course that's ignorant for me to think that you know i'm not gonna make the general uh, a general a blanket um statement on a whole country but can you tell me about jane and finch and sort of what what it's like the history of the place yeah well some people might be surprised that uh i mean we do have neighborhoods here that are, i guess considered more needy uh so jane i'll explain jane and finch very briefly jane and finch is the intersection north of toronto so uh, jane street and finch avenue major intersection a little bit north of Toronto, and it's an, a neighborhood predominantly full of like high-rise buildings, like a lot of high-rise buildings. There's some public housing, so a lot of density within a small area. And when it was created, uh, when it was developed over the decades, you know, there wasn't enough infrastructure or social supports to support that kind of population, which is mostly like about with the 
having people of newcomers and, and immigrants. Uh, so, you know, there needs a little bit more help there. And uh, yeah, the neighborhood's, uh, you know, it's a, it's a poorer neighborhood. And with that, we have like the typical social uh, economic problems, uh, you know, not many people, or we have a lesser, lower population who go on to like post-secondary studies. There's a, a higher percentage of like single uh, parent uh, families. And uh, so we do have like, you know, uh, higher levels of crime here, you know, gun violence, uh, drugs and gangs, that type of sort. Of course, it's nothing in comparison to like what you might see in the US. But for Canadian standards, Jane Finch is actually kind of uh, known across uh, Canada and maybe even internationally. So uh, yeah, we do have a little bit of a reputation and that's kind of one of the reasons why I started my website, janefinch.com to kind of correct that those uh, misconceptions. So when you were, uh, we'll get into that too. I, you know, obviously I'm here to talk about that uh, journey, but when you were younger and when you, were you born into the neighborhood? Yeah, I was, uh, I, I was born in downtown Toronto, but, you know, my parents moved into Jane Finch when I was a really young age, like a, probably kindergarten or something. So I basically grew up here and lived here my whole life. Growing up in the neighborhood, or as we call the hood, you actually don't know it's the hood until you actually meet making friends from other uh, parts of the city, from affluent neighborhoods, uh, living in mansions and having resources and connections. And you realize, okay, I can kind of see the difference now. There is a little bit of a difference uh, where we come from. It's a little bit of a struggle people fighting for resources and you, you have to kind of like, you know, navigate your way through life. Whereas uh, other parts of the neighborhood uh, of the community, it's like people have like mad connections. They have mad money and resources and they can make things happen a lot quicker. So I think uh, if you're a kid growing up in Jane Finch, you do learn to be more resourceful and creative, a creative problem solver because you have to do that in order to survive. Yeah. I, I want to know the moment that you recognize that, Jane and Finch was a different neighborhood from all the affluent, like, you know, third grade, fourth grade, like how did you kind of go to a different neighborhood? Uh, I can't remember. I just know like once you get older, when you're a young kid, you don't really pay attention to the news. Now, part of that uh, Jane Finch uh, brand or reputation is through the news media. And uh, once you grow older, maybe middle school, high school, you start consuming the media. And now with social media, this that spreads so fast, right? And you do see people always talking about Jane Finch, like the broader public and the society is like, oh, Jane Finch is this, Jane Finch is that. And you kind of grow up and deal with it uh, to the point where you kind of, sometimes you can use it to your advantage or sometimes you kind of just hide it. So like if I'm at a function, they're like, where are you from? I'll just say, ah, I'm from North of Toronto. You know, I just don't want to avoid the whole, oh, you're from Jane Finch, <laughs> you know what I mean? Or sometimes if uh, you're in this sticky situation and someone's kind of stepping up to you, you're like, yo, man, I'm from Jane and Fitch. And then <laughs> it's kind of like a, a lifesaver. Sometimes you pull out that card, right? But uh, yeah, I mean, uh, once you grow a little bit older, you recognize that people do kind of see you differently and have a different perception. And that's when you kind of, it kind of shocks you. It's like, oh, okay, yeah, I, I'm from a neighborhood and people do look at you in a different way based on your postal code. Yeah, you, you seem like a really swell guy, like a really nice person. I, I can't imagine somebody stepping up to you and you go, oh, I'm from Jane and Finch. <laughs> <laughs> it happens uh, infrequently, but even a nice guy like me, I have a little bit of street smarts and I know when to, uh, you know, pull the card. Uh, you know, of course, we always want to avoid confrontation as much as possible. But and our goal is to make friends and to to meet new people and make them understand where we come from so we can all get along together and not have these kind of problems. But uh, I think that is one of the traits of a kid growing up in Jane Finch is like they have that resourcefulness, uh, that extra heightened sense of awareness and radar because, you know, growing up in a tougher neighborhood, you have to kind of know, be hyper aware of your surroundings. So that's kind of like a good and a bad thing growing up there. Yeah. Did your mom and dad ever think, well, you know, we're raising our kids in this neighborhood. We need to get out. Did they ever voice that to you? No. I mean, they're aware of certain problems uh, that are exist in the neighborhood. But compared to their journey, I mean, as both people, uh, Jane Finch is a little bit of a cakewalk, I have to say, yeah. right? I mean, they're yeah, dealing with some uh, serious stuff. So for them, this is like almost like paradise. It's like we have freedom, we can work, we can make a living, raise our children, uh, have friends. And uh, for them, it was really great. And to be around other Vietnamese because Jane and Finch has a, probably one of the highest populations of Vietnamese in, in Toronto. So uh, yeah, pe Vietnamese people want to be around other Vietnamese people. Yeah. So are there like markets and stores that are in the neighborhood? Yeah, we have like local uh, malls and plazas, and it's really indicative of the neighborhood that you're in. You go there, you see like a pho restaurant, 
mm. right beside like a Chinese Jamaican place and then roti place, uh, Indian, like all in the same strip. So then you know who's living there, right? And that's actually also great and convenient because you can kind of have a little taste of the world just by going to one section and you get anything you want at that, that one place. So that's Jane and Finch. Yeah, it's always convenient to have that. Now, how did you, what, what's the story of how you started your website? <clears throat> okay, <laughs> so this, uh, I'll try to make it easy. So back then, uh, you know, Jane Finch is always in the news and this is around 2003. So I decided to Google Jane Finch. It's like, you know, there's always on the news for bad things, for negative things. Is there like any information where I can learn about the history? I was curious myself. And I realized there was nothing, there was no resources. So I bought the domain uh, jane-finch.com back in 03 or 04 and started the website. It was like single web page, And it's like, hey, we're here. <laughs> and then it kind of grew organically because I guess there are a lot of people like me who are curious about Jane and Finch and they just typed it in the web browser and they go, like, oh, there's an actual website about the neighborhood. And, you know, I was kind of one of the first guys to do it. And it grew from there. Yeah, I mean, you know, when I when I was reading about your story, um, Johnny from VidQ Media was telling me about your story. I was like, how could there be like a South Central LA or <laughs> Brooklyn or, uh, you know, in Canada? You know, mm -hmm. in my head, I'm, and of all things, having a Vietnamese kid uh, back in those days, you know, kind of document the journey or the, the, the area and tell stories about it. And I found it really fascinating. And I want to talk about some of the stories that you covered, but let's, let's go back to the, the, the evolution of founding it. So you, you founded domain, uh, in 2003, 2004, you said you bought the domain yeah, name. I, okay. Yeah, I bought then, the domain name. I, I wanted to buy janefinch.com without the hyphen, but there was actually a lady, her name is Jane Finch. And she was a real estate agent in somewhere in Ontario, Canada. But after a couple of years, uh, I was able to get the, the root domain. But, uh, you know, to go back before the website started, me and some friends, my close friends in the neighborhood, we actually, to stay out of trouble, we actually were making Kung Fu movies with my dad's camcorder. So we'd go into the neighborhood mm. and make these videos. And this is before, now you have to think about before there's smartphones, before there's YouTube. So we're doing, we're filming stuff on a camcorder in like, you know, the mid to late nineties and, uh, and you, and we don't have computers to edit. So we're editing everything in the camera. So if a guy throws a punch, you stop and then you record a new angle and you continue on so in-camera editing, right? For all yeah. the video geeks out there. But yeah, it will prove to be a very fun and popular thing. We're popular to the point where our videotapes on VHS were being like uh, shared around the neighborhood. The, the other kids in the schools would share. And uh, we had like people follow us on their bikes and, and, uh, and girls would follow us. Like, what are these guys doing? They're filming stuff. So we're kind of cool back then. And uh, that kind of led to my passion for video and storytelling. And so there was a natural fit when I started the, the website, janefinch.com is actually to use my interest in video and filmmaking to use that medium to tell stories. And then what I wanted to do is, uh, you know, kind of correct those misconceptions about Jane Finch. Because growing up, you always have to defend the neighborhood. Like, oh, you're from Jane Finch, I heard this gangs and drugs. And I'm like, that's not my experience. I, I know there's issues, but I was never involved in gangs or drugs or guns or anything like that of that sort. And I wanted to show like all my, the, the talents of these young people in the community. They're uh, rap artists, they're musicians, they're martial artists. And we use our website as a little microphone to say, hey, we're here and we're not that bad. <laughs> and, and how often were you posting? And you know, what was your intention uh, in the early days? So the early days, our, our roots and the website, are, are, our roots are in um, firmly grounded in rap and hip hop culture because that's a predominant subculture here in, in Jane Finch. And uh, I found it as a really great art form and medium to kind of express our feelings and to connect with a wider audience. So we had a lot of talented rappers and, and one of the major videos we did was, was, was with a, a Vietnamese guy named Chucky Akins. And he's a Vietnamese guy from Jane Finch and he rapped in Vietnamese and English. And we did a video, a music video with him and it went viral. Now this is before YouTube, Twitter, Facebook existed. I think the video, was like a little two megabyte Windows media video file. <laughs> and people emailed it around the world, like literally it went around the world. And then it caught the attention of our national news in Canada. And it was on the national news at like uh, nighttime. It was the last segment in the newscast. 
And after that point, my website changed. It crashed that day. <laughs> and then a lot of people were coming and hitting me up and saying, hey, what's up? I like what you're doing. You know, local residents, even former residents and people outside. It's like, oh, I didn't know Jane Finch was like full of this and full of life and full of color. Thank you for showing us a different side of the neighborhood. And that's it's been a great journey ever since. And, and are you partnered up with anybody else? So the website is like... Uh, it's just run by local volunteers. We're not funded. We don't sell anything. We don't make any money off of it. It's been that way for nearly 20 years. It's just uh, a lot of young people who really care, really passionate about the neighborhood and want to show that Jane and Finch is not what you think it is. And so we get a lot of volunteer workers and support and contributors over the years. And they just, they just care about making the neighborhood a better place. And they're using my website as a, a medium, as a platform to do that. Right. And but you don't have any partners that you have to meet with on a weekly basis. And, you know, no, it's really casual. You know, people it's driven by passion. And some people have uh, stuck with us over the years for many years consistently. And some people come in, volunteer a little bit and, you know, they go on to continue their journey. So, uh, you know, I, I think it's uh, about like having freedom, having the capacity, because volunteering is a big task, especially if you're a kid in a neighborhood and you're struggling or your parents are struggling and you have to go to school and you have to do a side job and to ask someone to volunteer on, on top of that, it's, you know, it's a, sometimes a, it's asking a, a lot, but uh, I think if we show them that we're real and we're genuine and we have a positive message and we're doing it for the right reasons, we attract a lot of people easily. Yeah. I, I can't help but think the reality on the ground with the violence and whatever else is happening in the the dark corners of the neighborhood that you can't see versus what you're mm -hmm. trying to portray, like how far, apart are the images or the reality between what you're portraying and what's going on on the street? So that's now see, if you ask an outsider, their percept perception of Jane Finch, maybe because they live in like a homogenous community and they're not never experienced or even witnessed violence or even heard of those acts for them, they might think of, of Jane Finch as a war zone. Me growing up in this element and seeing these things, I understand there's issues, but it doesn't phase us as much. I think maybe we're a little bit desensitized, which is kind of sad in a way that kids would grow up here kind of ex expecting it and, and, and having that kind of situation being normalized in their lives. But I think, uh, you know, I don't think it's as the news makes it like so, some people like they do, you know, get, uh, you know, affected by gun violence and all that kind of stuff. But I think there's a lot of opportunity here. I think there's a lot of great people here. And, uh, you know, I'm just trying to show what I see from, from the neighborhood. And that's what I'm doing through my website. Right. And how has it <clears throat> evolved over the years, uh, almost 20 years now? Um, what you covered in the early days, mm -hmm. do you cover things differently? Do you approach different subjects differently now? Yeah. So in the early days, the first, you know, one or two years, it's just strictly rap and music videos. Uh, you know, with Asian guys, black guys, uh, brown guys, you name it, right? So these guys are like, oh, wow, this, this Vietnamese kid has a camcorder and he has a website. Oh, so I used to do free videos for everybody. And that's how I made my friends and they loved it. And some of the videos would go viral, get lots of views and they would get their popularity and people loved it. And uh, over time, uh, other, other students in the area would uh, contact me and say, hey, I have this idea. Let's just do some positive news. Let's cover these social issues and that's when I kind of woke up and I'm like yeah you know what the website is a powerful medium it's not just a tool to express music music art and art forms but it's like we can address the social issues here so in about 2005 and 6 and onward I started realizing that this camcorder this website it can be a, a tool for good and for change and then we started covering you know positive news and highlighting positive people but also covering the serious issues whether it's a housing or a lack of employment or, you know, there's a pipeline going down in the area. Some people are against it. You know, anything that you can dream of. And even having a, some people want to plant trees and, and kind of green up the area. So we covered all kinds of social issues. And in, in, in a way, as a camera guy and as a storyteller, I learned about these issues by covering them. Speaking about learning um, about these issues, and you, you had to learn the technical side of, of making film and videos and stuff, right? I mean, did you go to college? Did you, what did you study? I went to York University, uh, which is a nearby area. I took the film program there, uh, but I would credit my, my filmmaking day, uh, knowledge from the, the Kung Fu movies that we made as kids in the neighborhood. 
uh, I learned a lot from there and hanging out at Blockbuster and renting the VHS movies there and just having a general love of film. And, uh, you know, it's been a great tool for me, especially as a, uh, I would consider myself like a shy, introverted Vietnamese kid. And having the camera as a way to express myself, you know, other people can express themselves through the music or through a written form. But for me, it was like the visual medium and just be like the little camera guy and finding people who have compelling stories and being able to work together and then release those stories into the public and then get the reaction from them. Yeah. Wait, so are you telling me like whatever you studied at York, you didn't really learn as much as you did? you know as opposed to actually making the films yourself i think when you go to school i mean you learn the theory you learn the history and there's also real world experience that really matters a lot and i think if you want to learn something you can do it on your own and you'll learn the hard way but uh, you'll get a lot of valuable experience just from you know because you're working in imagine you're working with other kids in jane finch different colors different backgrounds you have all those issues and you have to overcome the problems in, in order to finish the project and to have a product. So I learned a lot uh, through uh, filming on the streets of Jane and Finch. Now, we in the U.S. have a, a fairly big racial, um, we have racial, a lot of racial issues, um, very complex history. Do you experience that in Canada? Yes, uh, maybe not in the same way as the U.S. or maybe not in like uh, out in the open. But uh, now with uh, increased knowledge of these kind of issues, uh, for example, now there's the terms that I've learned myself, like microaggressions. It's a new term for me, but actually it's something I've felt my whole life. <laughs> How so? You know, microaggressions is like maybe you're in the part of a group, uh, but you're a person of color. And the discussion is seldom directed at you or people don't look at you in the eye or they don't acknowledge your opinions or thoughts because maybe you're perceived as the lesser or less informed based on skin color. Uh, or sometimes you feel it. You can be you know, going to a retail store and you feel like you're not getting the same treatment as maybe someone who had a different skin color. That's just putting it lightly, right? That's the Canadian way. <laughs> but uh, yes, yeah, so I think people here do feel that they, they do experience like a uh, injustice or racism and discrimination maybe not in a very direct or overt way like say as in the U.S. but over here it sometimes it can be very covert which I feel like can be far more dangerous because yeah it's not you can't really call it out and you can't it's harder to solve because if you don't admit it's there then you can't do much about it what, what about police brutality in Jane and Finch <sighs> well uh, I can speak that there has been like, uh, you know, the community and, and the local police have a history of like, uh, like mistrust, distrust. Uh, and, and a lot of people do feel like they cannot trust the, the police. But I think in the last few years, they're making real attempts and efforts to connect with the community. So we have like officers coming in, having events, getting to know people. And, uh, you know, I had my run-ins with the, the police as well, unfortunately. And I'm a good guy, didn't do anything wrong. Uh, but because of the rap videos, uh, some uh, members of the police kind of uh, did not understand what we're trying to say. And there was this one uh, person that was constantly criticizing what we're doing. And he went in the media and, and just saying, oh, we're promoting violence and all this kind of stuff. And, uh, and I felt shocked because this person didn't even contact me. I mean, all they could do is phone me up first before running to the media. That doesn't make any sense, right? But I mean, that's a long and gone episode. And, uh, you know, I think we have to work together to have a, to, to work towards a higher understanding because we all have to live together at the end of the day. So I don't want it to be like it's us against the cops. No, the cops are from the community as well. They're part of the community and we do need them. Uh, maybe my views have been relaxed over the years, but mm -hmm. I think uh, we have to have an open mind. And in, in, in if you want to build trust, you have to give a little bit and earn it as well. So I think uh, there's good things coming down the road. And as long as people are trying and have that intention of uh, building a community, I think we can do it. We, we have different uh, gun control laws um, in the U.S. and Canada, correct? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> some states it can have the open carry and whatever it is. I've seen it. Uh, I think yeah, here, Texas, like, I think in Texas, they just sort of. Yeah, they walk around. You, they, they what? No, they just abolished the whole license. Like you can just carry, yeah. and it's yeah. like. It's so I'm like, not, I, I'm not fully, 
yeah, I'm not fully aware of all the laws there. And uh, just for the most part, like guns are banned. But uh, and the majority, I think, of uh, the crimes are happening with illegal guns that are being smuggled across the border. And I think the bigger issue, other than just gun violence, is like, why are people resorting to these type of things? Uh, one guy told me, one person told me, like, the best solution to gun problem is a job. And if you give people hope and opportunity to succeed, they're not going to resort to violence or crime. They're going to they're going to be focused on taking care of themselves, you know, fighting for those opportunities, helping their family members and their friends. So I think what we have to do is looking at looking at it as a socioeconomic uh, issue and try to kind of nip it in the bud before people reach for that gun or thinking about resorting to violence or having that anger or whatever it is that they have to release that energy. So if we can provide opportunities and uh, uh, for me, it's always been. You know, just be a good mentor, be a good neighbor, just, you know, mentor your, your, your neighbor. And if everybody did that, we could probably solve the problem or reduce uh, gun crime by a lot. So I think we need just to have more people to care. And uh, that's what I try to demonstrate through my website, saying there's a lot of other young kids from Jane Finch who care about the, their neighborhood and care about each other. And if you want to do something positive, come to us and we work together. We'll do something. We'll tell a story. We'll work on a project and we'll try to find opportunity for you. Yeah, and I think that's important um, because I actually think that um, I actually think that the reason I don't know, this is a very general sort of thought, but I often think the reason why there's so much violence in the world is because there's a lack of love from within the family unit in the beginning from the from from the get go, right? Single families, single mom without the tools to kind of like nurture a proper family a lot of the kids a lot of the young men i mean they'll just go outside to look for it or if they were abused or if they were not given the love you know shooting somebody and carrying out violence eventually is not going to hurt them because they're you know the hurt that they carry as young people is so deep and they, they, they don't feel like they can hurt get hurt more because whatever they're feeling inside is so painful and I think that um, it starts with within the family unit and you know the the more you break that apart and the more you put that kind of pain and pressure on a human being um, you know it it's it, it fucks their life up at that point forward and I think we witnessed a lot of that in the 90s with the gangs in the US uh, Asian gangs and you know they they came here a lot of these young men came without families you know on the boats and they were maybe eight years old 12 years old had to stay with family uncles and aunts that didn't really care about them they were out making money or the parents were out making money so there was these young boys that were growing up in uh, environments without love and turned to gangs for family and the pain was so great that shooting somebody was it, it it really didn't make a difference to them and so the work that you do um what you just said about volunteering and and spending time making crafting these videos and projects i think it's a a, a wonderful thing a great thing yeah i mean i do think having a strong family helps it's one component but also the environment i think plays a big role and if you're in an environment where there's a lack of opportunity and a lack of hope, then people really don't have much to look forward to and they don't have hope. So what kind of what I did through the website is try to instill the hope and show them that, yeah. hey, hey, I'm from Jane and Finch too. I'm walking down the street. I don't have uh, much, but I can still do something with myself. And, and having tools like now today you have social media, Facebook, YouTube, and everybody pretty much has like a, a phone, a smartphone. You can be your own production company. You can be a reporter. You can tell stories. You can do whatever you want. You can have a big voice if you have something important to say. So the opportunities are limitless. And I think we just have to communicate to these children who are struggling that you are worth something and you, you have a lot to say. You just got to find it from within yourself and have some one or two people along the way kind of nurture that and show them, hey, you have a big potential. You can do it. And just even hearing that, I think a lot of kids don't even hear that especially from an Asian family because, you know, they always want you to be like a doctor or a lawyer or something. But if you have a different dream that's kind of not the typical path, it's hard to get support for that. And I would encourage 
or implore <laughs> Asian parents and families and Vietnamese parents, please support your kids no matter what they're dreaming of. Let them have a shot. Let them follow their path and goals. I mean, that's why we're here uh, to have a, uh, you know, freedom and to kind of pursue our dreams and and let's just uh, you know do that. Yeah, I mean, but that first generation had to put food on the table, you know. And I I I used to think the same way that you think. I was like. <laughs> yo, you guys have to let us do it. No, but then their <laughs> mentality is like, we have to survive. Yes. We have to save money. We have to make sure that mm -hmm. we're secure. And then the second generation, like our generation is more yeah. open to pursuing the things. And, you know, we don't have a, we don't have to worry about a safety net because we speak mm -hmm. a language that mainstream language, we speak it fluently. We don't have to worry mm -hmm. that we're going to not be able to get a job or not be able to feed ourselves because there, there's no issue in the back of our head with security anymore. We're like, and so I think kind of talking to my mom and that generation's um, the, the people in that generation, and it's, it's very difficult to explain to them, Hey, we're okay. We're going to be fine. We can go to get a job at, at the grocery store. We can go get a job pumping gas. We can get a job at Uber and we're going to be fine. We're not going to starve. And then we can pursue our passion. We can pursue our art. But that's not how they, th you know, they're like, well, we sacrifice our life. You get the best education, become the doctor, <laughs> become the lawyer. And uh, so that's it's just two different generations of, yeah. of the way. I totally understand what you're saying, man. Like, <laughs> I heard the same thing over and over yeah. from everybody, from all the second gens. They're always complaining about their parents. Yeah, there is that generation gap and that lack of understanding. But I think as we grow older and mature, uh, I hope that the dialogue is stronger. And I think a lot, I notice a lot of, you know, Vietnamese parents and their children, they don't have that openness as in, you know, most other parents who are really Westernized and they do have that survival mentality. Like seriously, they just want a job and a roof over your head and, and shut up and don't make, don't make waves. <laughs> yeah. But I, I think it's important that we have to try our best to communicate with our parents and we have to make waves because now we're we here. To, we're yeah. second. Yeah. We, we want to be, want to be a part of society, a, a major contributing part, and not just be observers or witnesses. We want to be the movers and shakers. Man, so that's why if, my message. <laughs> if you if you are a an observer or a witness, that's okay, right? I mean, but we're talking about other issues like getting stomped on, getting repressed, right? Mm -hmm. Like if you're just a casual observer, casual witness, okay, fine. But now we're talking about representation. We're talking about getting stomped on, we're getting repressed and down. We have to make sure that that does not happen to, to our community or our people. Um, what's the Vietnamese community like uh, in Jane and Finch? Well, I want to just touch upon the last point and I totally get it. Uh, I think I would say a lot of kids growing up in a neighborhood like Jane and Finch are kind of like automatic activists <laughs> because they always have to constantly defend the neighborhood, defend themselves. And it's kind of like in yourself that, you know, you want to prove to the other person that this, you're not what they think you are. So definitely understand the last point. Uh, sorry, was the question again, the Vietnamese? Yeah, um, what, what is the Vietnamese uh, community like at Jane and Finch? Oh, it's really, it's fairly tight knit. Uh, we do celebrate uh, Vietnamese New Year and we have events uh, like Hoi Chit Tet. We have a local one in the area. We also have a major one which uh, happens uh, yearly in, at Missis in Mississauga, city of Mississauga. They rent a big hall and sometimes like upwards of five to 10,000 Vietnamese people go there over a course of three, four days. They have celebrations, they have the you know lion dance and the food and vendors. And we even had like the prime minister show up one day and give a speech. It's that big, it's like huge. Wow. And not just Vietnamese people, but people who are not Vietnamese as well, wanting to learn about the culture, experience a little piece of uh, you know Vietnamese culture. And that is kind of like the largest annual gathering, but there's always events, all kinds of stuff, celebrations. And uh, you know, I learned a lot through going to the events, but I learned more deeply once I started volunteering in the Vietnamese community and having uh, more interactions with you know, other seniors and, and older adults. So I learned a lot from their stories and their struggles. And they're trying to give me advice on how to, you know, conduct myself and how to also maintain that cultural heritage and the cultural legacy and continuing it to keep that because we are, we're Canadian as well, but we want to keep our Vietnamese heritage and, and not lose it. And then after the second generation, we don't want to lose it to the next generation because it might just get kind of like whittled away. So for the elders, it's very important that they want to keep that, that, that history. 
So we as second generations and as you doing the podcast and interviewing all the Vietnamese around the world is like a big part of it. Because one day, you know, there's a young kid coming up and wants to learn. They can, oh, they can see all the podcasts you've done, all the different Vietnamese, I call them luminaries and heroes and athletes and this and that. And it's like, wow, Vietnamese people are doing some pretty cool shit. Yeah. <laughs> so they're not just a typical quiet Asian guy behind the computer. It's like we have the UFC fighters, the senators, the broadcasters, the journalists, artists, activists. So I really commend you for what you're doing with the podcast and interviewing this all around the world. Thank you, Paul. Well, I have a question for you in terms of like what you just said, your your development and the, the, the heroes and the luminaries. And I, I've all you know, my experience now is um, when I sit with anyone, I realize their story, the work that they do doesn't just come from themselves. It comes from their mom and dad or somewhere in their life. What inspired you? to give back to the community or, or work so actively in the community. It's not like just one day you're in third grade and you're like, I'm just going to go out and, and, and give back to my community or I want the world to see my community in a different light. This shit comes from somewhere, right? This thinking, this mindset has to come from a parent or a grandparent or an uncle that is in the trenches doing their thing. So did you just wake up one day and decide to do this or did it, does it come from somewhere? Yeah, I didn't wake up. <laughs> it's like uh, if you want to be a build bodybuilder, you don't wake up with muscles, right? It takes time and you learn, you, you see examples out there. Uh, for me, I was my parents and particularly my mom. She's always a very uh, kind and generous person. You know, even like during Halloween, she would buy like the most expensive candy and always, you know, give it out every year. And just through her example and my dad, just seeing how they're just caring about the fellow neighbor. It's a really important thing for a young child to see that uh, even a small action can have a big impact. And that's kind of like the philosophy I've always carried through my life is, uh, you know, you don't have, you could be, you can be from anywhere, but you can make an impact. But also I have to give credit to the, the, the really uh, caring Canadians that welcomed the Vietnamese refugees to Canada. And I had one example, one gentleman in particular, his name is uh, Robert Sargent, but we call him <laughs> Uncle Bob, right? <laughs> And he was an old white dude, never had kids of his own. But uh, when the Vietnamese refugees came, he welcomed them. He visited them at the hotels they're staying at and drove them around, wow. you know, showed them around Toronto, uh, introduced them to, uh, uh, you know, Canadian culture and customs like uh, bobbing for apples and stuff like that. <laughs> so, you know, like just to have someone who just welcome you and accept you for who you are. And, uh, and, and seeing that kind of example and what he did without asking for anything, for money, for nothing. He just wanted friendship. And when I see that, how, what, how many lives he has impacted through his gener generosity, it's like, wow, damn, that's something I want to get into, man. And I think we as second generations and the younger generations, yeah, let's just show a little kindness because that, that shit's contagious. So let's do this. This man, Uncle Bob, was he from Jane and Finch? Or from no, no, he's not. He's actually an American who emigrated to Toronto and I, I guess in the 60s or something and, and when he hit I think he's originally from Boston then moved to Toronto and then when the boat people came in 79 he's part of a church group and went in there and to welcome the Vietnamese to adapt them to Canadian life show them but they what he did was built a lifelong friendship and we he's like a surrogate uncle to us that's why we call him Ong Bup, right and uh, later on, I have to pay back what he did for my parents. So if he had computer problems, I had to be over there <laughs> diagnosing that shit all night long. But uh, the parents like, oh, Ang Bop has a, a problem. Go fix it. <laughs> right? But uh, I was glad to do that. And through him, I actually learned a lot of my own culture and my parents' journey. Because honestly, I never really talked much about the, the boat journey with my parents. It's something that a lot of people don't want to talk about because it's so traumatic. They just want to build a life here, be happy, and just leave the past kind of there. But Uncle Bob knew a lot about the journey, knew the details. He told me stuff that I didn't even know. He's like, oh, you know, uh, the reason why your parents gave you a Vietnamese name, my Vietnamese name is Phung. Uh, and they're like, did you know they were planning actually to go return to Vietnam? Like, he, I didn't know these things, right? So he knew a lot of the, the history, the, also the socio-political history, and would teach me all this stuff. And I learned a lot through Uncle Bob. Where, where, what does he do? What did he do for a living? And who is this guy? I think he worked in a church bookstore. Uh, he was a historian. I think that was his like professional background. 
but also a humanitarian, like literally nice guy, you know, uh, welcoming Vietnamese refugees, did not even try to convert anybody to the, the religion or anything like that. It's just like, hey, you guys are people in need and I want to, you know, get to know you guys. And that's all he did. And that simple example has lifelong impacts and effects. And then because of his example and generosity, he produced someone like an activist like me, for example. Yeah. So you never know anybody, any little person or small child, you show them something nice, you do a kind gesture. You don't know what kind of lifelong impact that would have on them. And they could be the next, you know, next uh, community person, activist or hero or artist. You don't know how you've touched their lives. So I think it's very important for us to thinking about like different ways how we can touch other people's lives and and not just always be selfish and looking for material things and now people are chasing clout on the internet that's a new word for me it's like clout <laughs> and people pulling stunts on trying to get their 15 minutes i mean life shouldn't be about that you should just do things you know help people be kind and trust me when you volunteer you get back way more than you volunteer and i i can tell people that with like absolute confidence if you give a little bit you're going to get back way more than you ever, ever gave out. Yeah, it's a, it's a weird uh, dynamic of the universe, right? Mm -hmm. A strange dynamic that, I'll be honest with you, we don't talk much about that in our culture. I could be wrong, but I didn't witness a lot of that in my family. Uh, in fact, it's the opposite, you know, it's scarcity mentality. It's like, <laughs> me, 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 me. But, but you know what? when you analyze and you look out to some of the really successful Vietnamese families, for the most part, and I'm making a generalization here, a lot of them understand the charity game. They understand the giving, they understand the give it to the universe, and then it comes back many folds. And I've, I've seen that. And I feel like that that comes from, um, I don't know where that comes from. But I feel like when you analyze American um, culture uh a lot of donations and charity and organizations uh it's something that's baked into the western way of thinking it's not so well understood in the vietnamese culture just yet i'm, I'm i i could be way wrong i hope i don't get crucified for that <laughs> i think there there might be some truth to it but my experience and perspective it might be different whereas i see a lot of vietnamese people do coalesce and work together and do a lot of great things, uh, but they just don't show it off. Uh, because, you know, Vits, they're not like, hey, look at me, uh, I'm donating blood, look, here's my selfie. Vits will do that, but they don't take the selfie. I think that's the difference because we're a very modest and conservative uh, group, right? And I think, uh, yeah, I mean, Vits, I think they do have tremendous charity. Uh, they will risk their necks. If you're in trouble, uh, they will gonna, they're going to go out and take some action. This, and I think has be, will... this has got to be Vits. <laughs> Yeah, no, a lot of good Viet's out there. Uh, but what I, my message is to some of the young people and also the adults is like, let's highlight these stories. Let's uh, show it off a little bit. Let's go out of character and show it off a little bit because we want to show people and show the community and be an example that, hey, Vietnamese people do give a damn and they're very capable and they want to make the world a better place. So uh, yeah, let's not hide and be, yeah. yeah. So Vietnamese culture of giving has changed a lot yeah. since I was growing up. And I was talking about, you know, my, my early as coming up in America, you know, as a Vietnamese kid, but today the modern Vietnamese in America and Canada now, totally different. And I feel like in Vietnam, obviously the, the, the culture of giving is being changed. It's changing a lot. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think a lot of Vietnamese, especially the boat people, they're bonded by that experience and, uh, you know, receiving help and generosity from wherever. And that is kind of like, now it's part of you. It's like, wow, I've seen that. And now people are returning it. Now we had like the Syrian refugees and a large portion like, you know, came to Canada and who was there? The Vietnamese people were there to welcome them at the airports. Wow. Hey, uh, they need uh, some furnishings. I need a sofa. I need this. I need that. I need a job. Let's, the Vietnamese people were one of the first groups to step up because they saw that was like, kind of like the journey that they went through and they want to make sure that they, they pay that back. So that's what I, I was really proud of that moment of Vietnamese people just stepping up to the plate when they see something wrong or injustice in the world or people fleeing persecution or whatever the issue is, the Vietnamese were there to support them. Yeah, and the Afghanistan you know, crisis right now too, there's a lot of Vietnamese people in our community stepping up to the plate too. Yes, yes. I mean, for them, it's, it's difficult to relive and see those images because it just harkens back to what they experienced. Yeah. 
but uh, they want to do whatever they can in their in their ability and capacity to, you know, uh, save the people or to do whatever it is, uh, you know, launching a social media campaign, whatever it is. But they they are definitely getting involved. Do you still live in Jane and Finch? Yes, I'm. It? I'm doing the interview right now in the heart of Jane and Finch, <laughs> and uh, yeah, I mean, I love the neighborhood. Uh, it's great. Everything's close by. All your friends are close by because it's really, uh, you know, the high density. And it's a lot of cool things to happen. And I'm doing my work here and telling stories. And I mean, it's really convenient because I can literally walk to a location and there I go, I go, I can meet people. I can be at a, an event and I can cover the stories. So it's been a great learning experience. I wanted to touch upon the charity uh, that we talked about before. I think it's really important to encourage people to volunteer. It's not just karma and the universe giving you back the energy. I do believe in a little bit of that, but I also think it's a great way to learn new things, gain knowledge, gain a new skill, gain a new experience by volunteering. And that's always been part of a big part of my message. It's like I encourage young kids, just volunteer. It's good for you. You're going to get free training, basically. Whatever you want to learn, you go volunteer for some person or group organization. You get your free training and a life experience. Uh, there was one guy I saw on CNN. He actually didn't work for a whole year. But for every week out of the year, I think 52 weeks, he would he would like work for free at a different company for 52 times in the year. So after the year, think about how much experience wow. and knowledge this guy has. That's a great idea. I don't know, think most people can do it, but if you can do a little bit of that, it's gonna go a long way. Yeah, that's a that's a huge accomplishment. If you think, of, I mean, just to line it up, not even not even <laughs> doing the thing, right? Lining up 52 opportunities is that's that sounds like a an uphill battle yeah but in that one year just taking off the one year just to work for free i think you would gain like life experience like tenfold right yeah so that that's a great story that you should look up <laughs> yeah I, and i think even volunteering like at hospitals or you know food banks and stuff like that it's a uh, yeah i i've never even done it so i need to i need to step off and, and, <laughs> and do something like that too yeah one thing and then since you mentioned that that there was a, a story that I did. Uh, I did a story for my website and it's about a, a Vietnamese guy. He's 40 years old and he has a neurological, uh, like a disease and it, it basically crippled him. He's kind of paralyzed and uh, very isolated in the world. And I started to work with him because he reached out to me on Facebook. He's like, hey, I saw you had a picture with the prime minister. I thought maybe you're another Vietnamese guy, you can help me. So basically he has this thing called the NF2, which is neurofibromatosis type two. And it left him paralyzed. And he basically, and he's deaf and mute. So he can only communicate on the computer, like typing, like, hi, Paul, right? It's very slow. He lives in an old folks home, uh, a home for the aged. I think mostly, uh, most of them are seniors with like uh, dementia and Alzheimer's. But this guy's a 40 year old dude who's stuck in his bed. He's basically bedrid uh, bedridden and uh, he's isolated. So he, he's in deep, deep trouble. So I volunteered, you know, bring him some food. Like these are things we take for granted. Like he's in an old folks home. And you think, okay, the nurses are taking care of him, but he actually misses pho. He's like, I want some kanji. I want some pho. I want this, I want that. Because they're just giving him the whatever diet that's available there. And then he wants human interaction because you just have the, the, the nurses take care of you. He's really in a bad situation. So the reason I bring this up is that was a profound experience for myself. And even being Jane and Finch and surrounded by all the headaches. And I've seen this guy in a worse situation, way worse who has like no hope for the future. So I think it's good for us that we can do what we can to assist these people, maybe try to find long-term support and a better solution or outcome, but also makes us appreciate our own situation much, much more, no matter where you are in Canada, it's not that bad because in North America, you're still a top 1% on planet earth where people are like struggling, dodging bombs, don't have food or clean water or anything like that. So it helped me realize that not to complain and to really appreciate no matter how high or up or low, you are on the social ladder, like you still got it better than 99% of the people on planet Earth. So, Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And it's hard to, you know, it's hard to remember that when you're living such a good life all the time, right? Like the little small shit will set you off emotionally because you're like, life <laughs> is so good for us. And we don't, mm -hmm. we don't recognize that sometimes and we take it for granted. And I think putting yourself in a situation of volunteering, like the, the, the person that you just mentioned, mm -hmm. It's important to give us perspective. Yeah, I think it's really, really important. And uh, same, same thing as uh, you know, people who have misconceptions of Jane and Finch or do not want to associate with people from the area. It's all about learning and connecting.
And if we, if I understand your neighborhood, I understand your life experiences, and then we can become friends and understand. We have different uh, experiences, but we can all get along and be together and live harmoniously. And I think uh, we have to have that integration, that social connection, and not just knowing a person of a different uh, color, but a different socioeconomic uh, background, a different background history, a different physical ability, a different skin color. We have to think about all these things. Even me and you, we're able-bodied. We have a perfect vision and everything. We still have our biases, but some people might not be able to have that same ability or they cannot walk or they don't have vision. We have to try to think about these people and include them in part of society because everybody is a part. I'm going to ask you a strange question because it, it requires a little self-reflection and a little self... <laughs> uh, okay. uh, but I, I do want to know if your parents know what you do and what you've done and how do they feel about it? Mm -hmm. <laughs> okay. <laughs> this is funny already. Okay, Viet Parents 101, all right? So well, I'm not I, a doctor or a lawyer. <laughs> yeah, and, and I, I want to know if they're proud. I mean, so it's a weird thing for you to answer this because I yeah. wish I can ask your parents, but through your eyes, what? Yeah. how does you, do your parents know the impact that you're making? I don't know <laughs> after 17 years. I mean, the first five years uh, when I was doing my website, we were actually really heavily featured in the public and being on the local news and national news. We were like dominating the news like crazy, uh, doing interviews, uh, uh, print, newspaper, radio, just talking about the website, advocating, responding to issues, commenting on this and that. It was all over the place. My dad didn't really notice until I made it on the front page of Toibao, which is our local Vietnamese newspaper uh, with a smaller circulation. But uh, I think most of the Vietnamese do read that in, in Toronto. But uh, I never made an impact until I landed on the cover of the Vietnamese newspaper. And then I think my dad started seeing that as a, maybe, it's, maybe this guy's a little bit serious. Maybe he's doing something. I think to earn your parents' respect, and admiration uh, for a Vietnamese kid, you have to work like 1,000 times harder or you have to cure cancer or something. And then maybe they're like, you cured cancer? All right, uh, okay, maybe, maybe, maybe that's a good thing. Yeah, all right, you did all right. <laughs> so yeah. I mean, because the expectations are so high, right. but I think we learn to live with it. But there's also a plus, a plus side. It's like, we don't get off on being fourth or third place or second place. Like we work extra hard and we want to achieve and excel higher because our parents put such high expectations. So I think it does make uh, Vietnamese people, Vietnamese youth and a second gener generation work a little harder, uh, push a little further and reach, uh, reach, reach higher goals. So I think sometimes it's a good thing as well. Good thing, yeah, I think it's a good thing for the most mm -hmm. part, you know, if it's done in a healthy way. Like my yeah. mom is constantly raising the bar on me. What, mm -hmm. do you think a hundred guesses is good right 300 and then when i hit he's like no 300 is not where you want to be you want to be at a thousand you know yeah and that voice is constantly playing in my mind it's, and and sometimes it's a good thing sometimes it's a, mm -hmm. a terrible thing you know yeah i mean i wish i could be a little bit more candid because i don't know if my dad's gonna check this out later or not <laughs> so i gotta be careful he might like kick my ass but uh yeah, sometimes it's healthy to have really high expectations. But sometimes, you know, in my own experience, sometimes uh, the parental feedback can be a little bit uh, demoralizing, <laughs> yes. discouraging. Mm -hmm. But I also, I think it helps to give you, a, make you have a stronger character and have a little bit of thicker skin and also prepares you for the realities of the outside world, right? I mean, they're telling you, hey, I went, I came over on a boat. I went through some heavy shit. So whatever you're going through probably doesn't really compare. So you can do it. You can get you can get over it, and you have a good opportunity. And don't complain. You know what your problems are. Just just find a way to solve it. So I think that's a pretty healthy mentality as well. Have you been to Vietnam? No, I have not. And it's not that I don't want to go, but I actually am a guy who never really vacationed. Ever since I started working, I actually use my vacation time when I'm volunteering for my website. Even my own website, I have to take a day or two off. And throughout the year, it's just like. It's all gone, right? So uh, that's something that's really important to me. I think uh, I have to go back. My dad has always encouraged me, let's go back together and visit and blah, 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 you know, motherland, see how people are living there, visit the relatives. But as just, you know, my excuses have just been kind of busy 
working and volunteering. You know, I've been uh, volunteering and working at the same time. People actually think the website's my full-time job. No, I do not get paid for it. Uh, but I happily use my free time whenever I can to devote myself to my community. And it's been a really great uh, journey and blessing. And, you know, I hope to be able to connect with people in the motherland and uh, to meet, you know, the relatives and, and learn about my origins. Just when the time is right, I will definitely going to go there and do that. How, how old is your father and mother? Roughly. They're in late 60s, so almost hitting 70, probably similar age as your parents. Um, yeah, and I think uh, it's been great having a life here in Canada and the opportunities and meeting people of different backgrounds and cultures and, and you know, the kind of the, the variety and diversity here. It makes life really, really rich. Yeah. So I think uh, Canadian life and just in North America, and we have a lot of great opportunities. So we should do a lot more. And I want to see the next generation of Vits uh, maybe be an astronaut and go up with NASA or something. I want to see a... We, we actually do have one astronaut. Eugene oh, yeah? Who's that? Trin. Eugene Trin. I think I, I might... Is he the Air Force pilot? Uh, I remember... I might have... now. He's in the 70s. He's our okay. parents' age. He, he actually... He went up? Did he go up into space? Yeah, he was up in space. Yeah. Oh, wow. So this is news I have to catch up on. Yeah, this yeah, is like there, a... Oh, my God. There's so many people doing amazing things as, mm. you know, Vietnamese people. I, On some level, I don't even, you know, it's great that we are all bonded by this common root. But at the same time, just hearing stories, it's now like the cultural side is really cool. But actually what people do with their lives despite their culture and, and, and the realities of, of, of the war and just, it's beautiful what humans, you know, uh, come out of these tough conditions. I, I want to go back to one thing though. Um, if I will, if I may, um, your, your parents, uh, are getting older and you, you do your best after COVID to get with them to Vietnam as soon as you can. It's a beautiful, beautiful experience. And um, that time, that window to go with them is very um, small because uh, it, it, I've, I've gone through this and uh, you know, there's this picture that I took of my parents on a mountain um, somewhere in the north. And it was my first trip back with them, I think in 2000 or 99, I can't remember. But I had a camera and I took a picture and, you know, it's just like a, a thousands of pictures we take. It was with the DSLR that I borrowed from a friend and I took a picture and um, it was when they were fairly young. It was like 20 years ago and it was such a wonderful and I, you know, uh, had that picture, the hard copy of the picture. Uh, then when my my dad passed away 10 years ago, um, I took that I, I grabbed that picture and it's, you know, it's sitting on his tombstone now. Um, but, but my point is this, uh, that there are so many things that, um, that came from that trip that I got to go and spend with them, just my mom and dad. And, and what I wish that I did at the time, and there's some advice that I, I want to impart to you is take your camera and go everywhere with them and video record like stories that they tell you and and document it because it's gone forever what my dad passed away 10 years ago actually to, to this month and i'll never get that back again i'll never um i'll never be able to hear those stories uh, and i really wish my my kid had an opportunity to to hear the stories when he took me into his village of where he grew up at, in the house that he grew up or my mom when she grew up uh, in the house that she grew up and I really wish I would have been able to record it on a, on a video. So plan out these trips and take them back as soon as you can, because it's so valuable. And one day if you, I don't know if you have children or not, but you know, it, it you can leave back a, this video legacy of, of your roots, literally. That is, yeah. Thank you for sharing that. I, yes, I totally get that. And as a video guy, I tried yeah. my best to do that. You know, good parents don't talk, <laughs> right? Or if you put on the camera, it's a different story. Uh, but I did, I did have some opportunities, uh, and now with you know volunteering more deeply in the community, I was able to, and and also volunteering with the Vietnamese community, I was able to engage my dad, 
And one day, you know, giving speeches at uh, different places. We're at the parliament giving a speech there a couple of years ago for some event. And my dad's like, why can't my son be in there? And that really bothered the shit out of me. <laughs> be in parliament. Now I have this extra pressure. But uh, I think that is something, personally, I'll look forward to in the future and, and, and kind of uh, put energies into that kind of direction and to be involved in a deeper way and not just locally and volunteering. But uh, if you want to make change, you have to work within the system. Uh, but yeah, I was able to do some of those things with my dad and I brought him to a beach and my younger brother had a drone. So he just flew it around for fun. And I was like, Hey, I'll just record him. I'll ask him some questions about what happened when he landed on the boat. Like when he arrived at the beach and I got a few minutes of that. Sometimes it's can be difficult to preserve those stories. I totally agree. It's important to keep them, uh, so we can share it with the next generation. And that's actually something I did with uncle Bob. Cause at the time I interviewed him for a project like 10 years ago. And at the time he's 85 already. I was like, I got to get this story out. It was just only 10 minute clip. It's on YouTube, right? But I actually got him like asked, why did you help the people? How was it? Da, 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 da. He detailed the story and uh, we have him on film for anybody to watch. So it's great. And he later on, he passed like 10 years after that at 95. The dude lived to 95. But wow. I think that's a testament to all the goodwill and the generosity he gave. He had a nice, long, very yeah. good life. But yes, I, I actually encourage a lot of other young Vietnamese kids, even if you can't record it, at least get the story and talk to them, talk to them about their past. And I think that's something that I felt like was a little bit lacking, especially with the older and the second generation. Sometimes that the, the, the sharing and the storytelling is not there. And so we just see our parents as hard workers, you know, working in a factory or this or that and not really having a deeper understanding. It's only until later in life I had a more deeper understanding once I asked my dad these questions ask my mom these questions, what their journey is. And uh, as a guy writing stories, I have to ask them, oh, ask my mom, where did the uh, grandpa come from? And she told me, he came from actually from China. He's a, a poor guy looking for opportunities, went to Vietnam and then started a life there. I met my grandma and like little things like that. And I was able to detail it into a written article. So yeah, I would encourage kids to exactly what you say, try to get those stories, learn wherever it is, if you go back to Vietnam or whatever, but engage your parents way more than you are right now and that's the number one thing i totally agree with you yeah yeah you know and i'm i'm tempted sometimes to go through every single family member of my mom's generation and she has like 10 siblings and, and talk to them about how they grew up because what you realize is they all see the world differently right <laughs> so they got 11 yeah. siblings but they're gonna have such a diverse way of seeing what they grew up with in Punyong, you know, in Saigon mm -hmm. or in mm -hmm. Rat Yeah, they all moved, yeah. migrated to different parts of Vietnam at certain points. And their experiences are all different because, you know, my mom being the oldest probably has a different um, experience of trying to carry the load financially for the whole family. Yeah. And the younger guys were just kind of like, you know, they're in their teens or they're like really young and mm -hmm. they just were living the life and they didn't have to worries so much so everybody has this different yeah. mentality and different perspective mm -hmm. that would be interesting to see it all pieced together in like mm -hmm. one cut up edit video you yeah know, that'd be ask, epic <laughs> yeah, ask one topic and then uh -huh. you hear like all these like you know different you know answers coming out of, and that would be a cool project I, I just thought of that right now yeah i think it's yeah we should engage the parents i know like a lot of them are hesitant to to share stories and just kind of like the shy nature and introversion of i think the culture uh, but yeah, I totally agree with that. Uh, I mean, yeah, it's just so funny. I, I remember, okay, just to touch upon that, I, when COVID happened and all the lockdowns, you know, when people were buying up the toilet paper and there was yeah. nothing left, I told my dad that he laughed. <laughs> He's like, toilet paper? He's not worried about that. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, like, it's funny to see their perspective, like the priorities of uh, people that we see in, in, in our society today versus in the past where they're like, they just want to get out alive, right? Survive. And uh, it, yeah, it just makes us reflect a little bit more, a little bit better that, you know, if we're lacking or we're missing something, don't fret too much about it. You, you're going to survive. You're going to see the sunrise the next day. So don't worry too much. Yeah. Things will be fine. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Well, Paul, you, you've done a great job um, with all the community work and I'm very proud to, to have call, you know, to, to know that you are a Vietnamese person in Canada doing such uh, fine work with the community and thank you so much for spending the time with me today to to give to shed light on the work that you do 
I want to thank you very much, Kenneth, for uh, you know wanting to interview me. I feel like I'm not worthy with all the luminaries you interviewed. I'm like, why is this guy bothering some guy from Jane Fitch, some Viet guy, right? So I'm just very happy and blessed and, and, and really appreciative that you took the opportunity to talk to me, get my story. And hopefully, you know, your viewers out there will see, okay, we can have a, a mixed martial artist, we can have politicians. And yeah, there's some Viet activists out there too, doing some interesting stuff. So it, it will give the next generation a lot of great ideas of what they can pursue, what they can think about and what they want to do with their lives. So I really want to thank you for what you're doing. It's you're totally welcome. awesome. You, you know, here, here's the way I see you and, and, and people like doing things in, in the world. The Vietnamese, I just got started. So you and I just got started together, right? This conversation has just got started. We have another 20 years left of our lives. We're still young men. And I want to see you carry out some of the things that we talked in private. I know you have bigger plans. So today is step one. In another year or two will be a second conversation. And then when you're hanging out with, you know, guys in parliament, that's going to be so there's this evolution of uh, the, 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 the people, the friends, the the conversations that I make. Um, so it's not for me, it's not some little guy or some person some actor it's not about that it's about the beauty of the journey that you uh have taken um and it's you're 20 years into this journey so there's a lot to talk about i, I don't even feel like an hour or 90 minutes is even enough but to, that's why i always say we'll return for the second conversation you can reach out to me at any time and we can you know strike up a conversation i want to hear about your journey, um, your, your next phase. And I know that there will be many, many more new next phases and you're going to make us proud. And that's what I'm invested in. Yeah, thanks for those kind words. And yeah, I mean, uh, anything I do, I'm always very conscious that I'm also not just representing myself or the community, but being a representative of the Vietnamese community. So, you know, uh, whatever the young kids out there, whatever you're doing, remember you're repping the Viets. If you do something wrong, going to make us all look bad. But if you do something good, we'll be there to, Give you a plus so just do the good things all right <laughs> yeah and, and that's a funny point you bring up too because any of my guests if they're doing bad things like in another three years or so it's part of life it's, we're humans and you know if you fuck up you know you're it's humans and we can get back on and we can talk about it or you know it, it's just the fabric of where we are today it's a snapshot of where we are today and i think in the future i'd love to hear and see where you are um you know with the with the work that you do yeah, I'm down for that, brother, man. And I hope we uh, look the same a year or two from now. <laughs> you know, say Asian, don't Asian, right? <laughs> so, yeah, hopefully we'll still kind of look youthful enough and uh, it won't be too much of a change. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to use my uh, computer avatar. I'm going to, you know. <laughs> <laughs> the skin smoothing, eh? <laughs> oh, my gosh. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Well, Paul, have a wonderful weekend. And uh, thank you so much for your time. And, uh, you know, we'll talk soon. Thanks, brother. All right, we'll be in touch. All right. Take care. See ya. Thank you for listening to The Vietnamese with Kenneth Nguyen. The Vietnamese is produced by Brittany Tran and Javier Proenza. Special thanks to Jane Nguyen, Catherine Nguyen, Tina Pham, Sydney Jamie, and Christo Trin. Please find us on Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok at The Vietnamese Podcast. You can also find us on YouTube where you can subscribe, like, and comment. Please rate and give us a review wherever you find our podcasts. Thanks again for listening.